Welcome to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. You've probably seen a lot of coverage in the press recently about the new legislation that's going to have an impact on your retirement, whether you're planning for retirement or already retired. But it's a lengthy bill with a lot of nuances and complexity. Maybe you have the time and interest in reading the 150 plus pages of it. But if not, what should you be looking for so you're prepared if you consult when you should your own financial professionals for advice on what it means for you? Our guest today believes there's something in it for everyone, and she'll help us understand what should be on your radar. We'll also talk about what you should be asking your financial advisor that he or she may actually not want you to ask, and what you should be looking for and looking out for if you're considering shifting to a different financial advisor as your needs change. My guest today is Pam Kruger. She's a recognized investor advocate and an award-winning personal finance journalist and author. She is the founder and CEO of WealthRamp, an advisor matching platform that connects consumers with vetted and qualified fee-only financial advisors. Pam is also the creator and co-host of the Money Track Investor Education television series seen nationally on PBS and the Friends Talk Money podcast. Pam, thanks for talking with us today. Joe, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So there's been some news recently about new legislation, and I'd like to get your views about what are some of the ways that Secure 2.0 will help people who are planning for retirement? Joe, out of the, what, 155 pages of this legislation that has been described as massive, as it helps retirement savers of all ages, I'm blown away because I look at this and I see that for the first time in a really long time, in my memory anyway, I see that every stage of career is helped in some way by this legislation. It is passed. It is real. It's happening. It's going into effect. So just to sort of look at some of the benefits and how these benefits really help people is overall, I see more ways to save, more ways to expand your savings and do it in much smarter tax planning ways. Some of these laws allow us to save more like in a Roth environment versus just a traditional IRA or traditional 401k way, allows you to put more away in a single year. So, and then at the other end of it toward retirement and into retirement, there's something here for everybody. So some of the things that really stuck out to me are things that also help self-employed and people who are working part-time. So just across the board, you're seeing one at a time picking through, how can this help me? How can this help me? And there's just, it's like a goodie grab bag of just like good stuff. Always good news to have a goodie grab bag coming our way. (laughs) So What's one key benefit that you'd highlight that pre-retirees should be focused on? When I'm looking at what's most important to building wealth over your lifetime, I always think about emergency savings. And I always think about the people who get left behind on that because it feels like it's so easy to just go open a savings account at a bank and say, okay, now I can get anywhere from two to 4% on my money in a savings account. That's a no brainer. But it isn't a no-brainer when you're younger and you're struggling and you're going from paycheck to paycheck and you're trying to figure out how you can ever put money into your 401k because you don't have an emergency savings, because you still have outstanding debt. So this 
legislation makes it much easier, instead of having to go to a bank and open an emergency savings account or a savings account of any kind, it allows you to build up the foundation of wealth, which is helping you by allowing the employer to let you set aside an additional amount of money every year that's designated as Roth and it's Roth eligible. So it has that tax-free component to it. And that starts in, in 2024, I believe. But uh, contributions to that account are going to be limited to $2,500 a year. It could also be set by the employer. And then the first four withdrawals in a year's time would be tax and penalty free. So I know it doesn't sound like a big deal to people who are down the road, older, and have already built up their 401k. But boy, think back to when you were just getting started, or if you have kids or grandkids, this is just a way to finally help them get in the door and start saving. I think another thing for people who are pre-retire, student loan debt, obviously so many employees are carrying student loan debt. And now employees can set up sort of a match where the student loan payments can be matched to a retirement account. And also that has that Roth component. And that gives you an extra way and it gives you an extra sort of an incentive to start being able to really make some meaningful dents in your student loans, which feels really, really good. So those two things in combination, being able to pay down debt faster with help from your employer, get tax benefits, as well as set up an emergency savings account. Those two things are huge. And then the other that is pre-retiree, probably not necessarily, but if you've been saving, and I think that you are, I think you, you mentioned that maybe you had a 529 plan. And now those assets that are sitting in that plan starting now can be rolled over into a Roth IRA. So let's say that you overfunded your 529 plan and there's a lifetime limit of this for $35,000 and rollovers can't exceed that amount. But can you imagine being able to take some of your 529 money that you didn't use and put it into a Roth IRA? So I think that those are some tremendously helpful benefits for people who are pre-retire. I've been imagining that rollover every day. So appreciate that. So how about for those who are already retired, what should be on their radar? So there's two big ones. And the first one is more to do with catch-up contributions. And again, this could be before retirement, but if it starting now, if you're 50 or older, you can put more money away, $6,500 more in your 401k plan. So I guess this is this is pre-retirement. I should have, I should qualify that as pre-retirement actually. It's a catch-up provision, but now it allows people over 50 to put in $27,000. And then starting in 2025, if you're 60 to 63, you'll actually be able to put in an extra $10,000 on top of that. And that will actually be indexed to inflation. So the IRAs also have new catch-up provisions for people who are actually beyond the 401k. So there's that aspect. And then there's also big changes to RMDs, which is everybody's interested in pushing the time off. Well, maybe it's beneficial, maybe it isn't, but it took something like 40 years before 2019 for the laws to change and increase the age to 72 from where it was at 70 and a half. So now it's been 72. And now it's going to go up to 73. 
immediately. And then later, it's going to go up to 75. So those changes in when you can time taking money out of your retirement account, just because I I kind of caution that just because you can postpone doesn't mean you should postpone. It sounds really good because everybody always says, I don't want to take my minimum distribution this year, taxes, taxes, taxes. But in some ways, tax planning, you have to look at your own situation. All this is doing, Joe, is giving everybody more options. And of course, with more options and more choice comes more work. You have to analyze and evaluate, can I take advantage of these and how can I take advantage of these changes? So those are just, there's just way too much in this legislation to go through everything, but it just gives you the overall impression that there's there's almost something for everybody at every stage, including part-time and including people who have been feeling like they've been shut out from being able to contribute in 401k plans, self-employed and part-time workers as well. So Pam, what's one thing in Secure 2.0 that isn't getting much attention, but people should know about? I think that the one that I stress the most, which may not be getting as much attention, but the emergency savings, I think is so meaningful. And I also think it's pretty cool that now they're going to create this lost and found for previous 401ks so that you'll have a database you can go to and you can actually search to find money. That's a big deal because I don't know about you, but over the years, people change. I know I have. You change careers, you change jobs, and there might be a little bit of money left in a 401k that you or your spouse or partner didn't even know about. And I think it's really cool that there'll be sort of a lost and found system now where you can look up, do I have any money sitting in a 401k account that I didn't know about? Because I, I hear it all the time from people that they just didn't realize that they had this lost money that was found again. So I think it's kind of cool that they're connecting us to our an easy way to, to put our hands on that money. So shifting gears, tell us a little bit about what led you to create WealthRamp and how does it work? So WealthRamp was born because I had a TV series weekly called Money Track that was airing on 250 plus PBS stations. And we had viewers that were coming to us and they were asking over and over and over again, especially after the financial crisis. And they were saying, look, always been a great do-it-yourself investor. I'm an engineer. I love spreadsheets, but now my life has become more complex. And I really want to find what you're always talking about on your show, Pam, which is a fiduciary, a fee-only advisor, not a sales rep, or not the mutual fund guy or person at my 401k plan at work, but somebody who's actually an expert in the areas that I am looking at. And please give me a name. And I'd always say, no, I can't do that. I can't just give you a referral because you might have special considerations that are really unique. You or your spouse might work at a startup and you might have startup stock options that require complex tax planning. You might have a child on the autism spectrum. You can't go to it, even if the advisor is fantastic and fee only and 100% fiduciary best practices. If that advisor has never met a special needs trust, it's not going to be the right advisor for you. That's why I couldn't give out names one at a time. But so many people kept asking me that I figured out a way to say, okay, if I curate a network of 250 advisors and they have different specializations 
And I vet every single one. And I mean, me personally, vet every single one. So I can put my name on this. And then I create some algorithm that can help match that person who has those special needs to the right advisor. That might be a business. And that's how WealthRamp was born. And I actually came to it kicking and screaming and didn't want to do it. But I did it because I realized that it is so hard to go out and try to figure out, even if you know you want a fiduciary advisor who's fee only means, and that means the advisor works only and directly for you. They don't get paid kickbacks to make recommendations. It's so hard to find the individual advisors who are out there that aren't attached to the broker terms and so forth, who can actually provide you with the specialized kind of advice that you really need. And how does it work for, let's say, me as a potential client? How does the process work? And then I'm curious, how do you vet the advisors? So the way that it works is when people come to our website, wealthramp.com, then they are met with a self-assessment sort of survey. These are my questions that I'm asking you because they're really going to help me determine, do you need a tax-focused advisor? Do you need a specialist? Are you interested in socially responsible or ESG investing? Are you investing in a lot of commercial real estate? There's a lot of different aspects to someone's life that's going to make somebody different. So when they come in and they take the self-assessment, that allows me, it allows the algorithm that I've developed to then match you by ranking those answers against the advisors that are in my curated network. So when I put together the network, Joe, I had to really say to myself, okay, I need a constellation of different expertise, handling different clients of different ages and stages, different asset levels, financial planning, and all of the things I could possibly think of that people might want. And then by putting that together, people can flow through and see their matches. Now, here's where I'm different from anything else that's out there. I'm not in what I call the lead generation marketing business. That's where these websites will take your name and they'll turn around and sell it to insurance agents to call you. And your phone will start ringing off the hook. Inbox will fill up. What I do is totally different. Everything's private. So when you come to WealthRamp, we don't share your information with the advisors. So if you've ever been on any dating websites, you'll know Bumble is the one that protects women from being harassed by men by making sure that only the women can see the men like a one-way mirror. That way, when people come to WealthRamp and you come to WealthRamp, Joe, and you, you want to look at these three advisors that I've aligned you with, it's totally up to you to be the one to take the initiative to reach out. They don't have your information and people really like that. And it makes me feel really good because it's a serious search that deserves a ton of thought, especially with this new legislation. It's really gotta be thoughtful. Now, in terms of the vetting, mm-hmm, okay. The vetting at the most superficial level starts with background record checks. That's the most superficial. I wanna see. I want to see everything the regulators have on you since you were 17 years old. And in my case, since I was 24 years old, and I started as a young broker who then moved into the fee-only fiduciary world, it's going to tell me a lot. And that's going to be my first excuse to say, nope, nope, nope. Because remember, I have to make sure that an advisor that I accept is going to reflect well on me. 
because my name is on this referral. So then the next level of vetting is if I find an advisor that I'm really interested in and I say, wow, they look like they could be a candidate for WealthRamp. They've been in business and they've been established for at least five years. They have no complaints or anything on their records like that. They've got a nice deep bench of expertise. They've got CFA, they've got CPA, they've got everything right there. Even if it's a solo practitioner, to see that that solo practitioner has been established for at least five years, has a background that goes back before that, and also has an external team. You take all these things into consideration. And once they start to look like they're turning into a really good candidate, I get on the phone with them and I want to, I want to talk to them. I want to hear how they communicate. I want to understand the energy they're putting into the practice. I want to ask them about the software they use. I want to know why they like it, why they don't like it. I want to know the backstory of how y'all came together in the first place and the culture and the X factor for me, Joe, in choosing an advisor to be on WealthRamp, the X factor is humility. They cannot talk down to clients. And just so listeners know, the reason why I asked about this is I actually referred one of my retirement coaching clients to WealthRamp. He was looking for a different advisor and had a great experience. So I want to just share a little bit about how it works and your vetting process. So thanks for thanks. I'm glad, that. I'm glad you gave me that feedback. I love hearing that. I mean, I am passionate about this. And the more I got into this, Joe, the more, the deeper I got into it, the more I realized, oh my gosh, this decision that you make about who you're going to listen to and get advice from on your most important life savings is so serious and it has such consequences. And I even have friends in my own life who will say to me, ah, but Pam, Any advice is better than no advice, right? Even if I get it from someone who's selling me annuities, at least I can tap into them for their knowledge and something's better than nothing. And I say, no, no, because getting the wrong advice can sometimes be worse than getting no advice whatsoever. So what are some things that clients should be receiving from their financial advisors that they may not be getting? You need to always feel that if you want a granular level of detail that that advisor is going to offer to make sure that every detail, everything that you want answered is answered. And for some reason, I do attract a lot of engineers who are very technical. And even if you don't want that level of specificity and you want to be more big picture, but you want to communicate with your advisor on a right regular basis, that advisor has to be super responsive immediately. So these advisors can't have so many clients that they can't talk, stop and take the time that they need to take to answer your questions. And, and I want them to offer their knowledge. And that's related to the first point. It's detail, but it's also generosity with being able to offer their knowledge and wanting to. Because if you want to learn about something, say it's crypto, and let's just say you want to learn about what happened with FTX, and you have no interest in investing in crypto, but you're crypto curious, you should be able to know that the advisor that you've hired and you're working with is on top of everything. 
and can explain to you and share knowledge with you. Because the goal here is through the collaboration with an advisor that you're gaining knowledge as you go. So sometimes I'll talk to someone who might be 65 years old and she'll say, I have very little knowledge or understanding of investing. And then I say, with the right advisor, in five years from now, you won't recognize yourself because your conversations will become more sophisticated, not because you took classes and courses, but because the little bits of wisdom and knowledge that you're getting from this relationship and this collaboration are feeding you. And that goes straight to your confidence and it goes straight to your comfort level that you understand that you have a plan and that you have a strategy and that A, you understand it You've bought into it because you helped co-create it. And then that way you can be more excited and sleep at night better because the only reason I think people would ever want an advisor, and me included in this, is if I'm going to sleep better at night because I know that my advisor took the time to stress test the heck out of everything and mostly stress testing my biggest money fears, my nightmares. I want to take my worst nightmare that wakes me up about money. And this gets back to what you asked about. What should a great advisor do? Show you. Show you how you'll never go to zero in your lifetime. It might mean you have to work longer. You might not like what the advisor has to say that you have to do. But your advisor's job in life is to show you how your savings will never go to zero. So if someone listening is looking for a financial advisor or they're thinking of switching, What should they in general be looking for and what should they be looking out for? So somebody who has not yet talked with a vetted advisor, the questions they ask and the way they go about it's going to be completely different. So if it's completely unfiltered and you're looking out there and wondering, how do I vet? You start with the background records, just like I do. They're public. So you go to the SEC's database and it's the initials. I, it's not easy to just, it's not intuitive, but. You could start with BrokerCheck first, BrokerCheck.com. And the reason you start with BrokerCheck is even if the advisor is fiduciary and not attached to a brokerage firm, put the name in because it will lead you to the SEC's database, which is a little harder to find, called IAPD. And when you go into the SEC's database, because now remember, the advisor should not be someone who's main job is to sell as a sales rep at a brokerage firm. Look, I have a lot of friends that work at brokerage firms. I love them. But if I'm looking for an advisor, I'm not going to look for a sales rep at a brokerage firm or an insurance company because the business model, not because of them personally, the business model is wrong. It's not advice. It's sales. So I don't care how great you are. You're working for the sales man. You're not working for the client. I want you to work with someone who works only and directly for you and they get compensated only by you. So starting with the database and looking for all the different ways they get compensated. And if you're going to talk to the advisor, you're going to ask the advisor, and this is very specific. It almost sounds like code, but you've got to do it. Please tell me all the ways you're compensated. Don't leave anything out. I want to know 100% of your compensation. Where does it come from? Because you, you just don't want to see that buried anywhere. Second question, and the second thing in your vetting, not me, but you as a person vetting an advisor, 
you want to say, please put in writing that you are a fiduciary advisor 100% of the time. 100%. Again, it sounds like code and it kind of is. Are you a fiduciary 100% of the time? And if you're answering yes and nodding your head, put it in writing on your firm's letterhead. Because otherwise, if you go to a bank, you know, big bank, big bank with bad reputation, no names will be mentioned here. And you ask the so-called advisor, who's really a salesperson at the bank, hey, are you a fiduciary? Because I've been reading about that. What do you think he or she's going to say? They're going to say, yes, I believe in the fiduciary. I woke up this morning and I felt like a fiduciary. But that has nothing to do with legally being held to the fiduciary standard. So that question has to be answered in writing. One thing that stood out to me in your approach to vetting was your comments about humility. Tell me a little bit about how that came about and why you focus on that. And how did you find 250 of them? Took me three years. Took me almost three years. I literally had friends and family were were helping to fund welfare to, to get us going. And I literally had friends and family scratching their heads and asking me, Pam, when are you going to get this thing off the ground? You're taking too long to vet these advisors already. I said, no, you don't understand. That's the whole magic of what this is all about. And I don't care how long it takes me. If I can't have the right advisors, I don't have a business. So for me, humility is a huge X factor because I had so many people coming to me from our show and women many times. And they would say, Pam, I'm working with this advisor. I don't even like him. He makes me feel so small, makes me feel like I'm so lucky if I get an answer, talks way up here, speaks jargon. That doesn't fly. So even, Joe, even when I someone points me to a fiduciary, fee-only advisor who looks on paper, squeaky clean, looks like, oh my God, I'm excited. And then I can tell, this is why I do the interviews with them when I'm discussing with them and they're talking to me. And if they're making me feel that they just are really wanting to lecture and it's not, you can just start to tell after a long time of doing this, that you're going to be entering into a relationship with an advisor who everybody thinks is the best thing since sliced bread. I can't tell you how much people get mad at me, especially here in San Francisco. Why don't I have this firm? Why don't I have that firm? They're so good. They're so great. Well, because they know they're so great. And when they talk with their clients, they have a culture that really does feel like you will bask in the glow of my expertise. And that is not a relationship that's going to last. So it is a very big deal. Thanks for sharing your thinking experience about that. So Pam, what are some key questions people should be asking their current financial advisor and perhaps one that the advisor really wishes they don't ask them? I can truthfully tell you, I don't have advisors who would not want this question, but there might be other fiduciary advisors, fee only, who might not welcome it, which is, tell me about your client retention rate, turnover, tell me about the firm's client retention rate, tell me about your number of clients you feel comfortable with and why. And what I want to hear is I want the advisor to describe for me a practice 
that is not about opening new accounts. And it's not about trying to be acquired by a bigger firm and dressing themselves up and putting lipstick on to look really good with a lot of new accounts. I want to see that the advisor is humble and hiding in plain sight and that they're profitable. They're making, they're doing really well and they're very particular about how many clients they'll take on. So a lot of my advisors will get in touch with me every now and again and say, Hey, Pam, can you put my profile on hold? I can't take any new clients right now because I need to focus on the clients I have. Sometimes that happens around tax time. And those advisors are not so desperate for clients. They're more interested in growing, but servicing the clients that they have. And that's a really good indicator of the kind of firm that you're talking to. Pam, thanks for making us smarter about the world of financial advisors and what's coming in Secure 2.0. It's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you after listening to you on your podcast. Thanks a lot, Joe. I really appreciate you having me. So what's on your to-do list? Coming out of this conversation today with Pam Kruger, I have two suggestions. Number one, if you're in the US, what's in it for you in the Secure 2.0 Act? I think she gave us a good roadmap of what to look for, what to focus in on. Be sure to consult with your financial professional on specifics, but take a look at what's in it for you. Number two, are you getting what you need from your financial advisor at this stage of life? Take note of the questions she suggests. You may have others, but have that conversation. And also ask, is it time for someone new? Do you need a financial professional who can better meet your needs at this stage of life? Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. It's a free retirement school. You can take a look at browse all of our episodes on our website across six seasons at retirementwisdom.com. Our mission is to help you prepare for retirement in a balanced way by focusing on the non-financial aspects of retirement planning and retirement life. Thanks for listening.